Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey folks, welcome to The Hang. In this episode, we are hanging with Peloton instructor Sam Yo. Sam is a dynamic individual and extremely motivating. His story is pretty extraordinary. He spent his life deep into his two passions, the arts and fitness. 20 years in the entertainment industry, from working in the West End and television, and for 15 of those years, he also pursued his love for fitness and was an instructor. Sam talks to us about his time in both worlds, but also taking time out from everything and getting back in touch with his heritage and roots in Thailand. Sam pressed pause on a successful stage career early and became a monk for nine months. That's where he got the nickname Super Disciple. Well, welcome to the Hang Sam Yo San Fisuk. <laughs> Did I say that all right? I know we're going to go by Sam Yo, but I just wanted to make sure we get that right. Sam, Thai individuals have a very long surname. But you just go by Sam Yo now. Sam Yo. In the Thai culture, everyone has like a nickname. So Yo is my nickname. Right. Uh, which like, everybody calls me Yo. Uh, and they don't call me by my, my real name. So everyone calls me Yo. So Yo was my stage name. And were you born in Thailand or were you born in London, in England? I was born in England, uh, London. Yeah, in Chelsea. In Chelsea. Okay. So mm. I got connected with you through Mandy, my, uh, my darling wife, who is now hooked on Peloton. And uh, she's, she's now part of the, the culture, the club, you know. And uh, she was fascinated by your story. And when she was relaying it to me, mm-hmm. it fascinated me. And then I started looking on your Instagram. You're very inspirational, very um, very hardworking. And then w- the more I got to know about you, your, your backstory is incredible. And we talked briefly today when we finally got to touch base. And uh, what I found, I think people will be able to f- find compelling and perhaps be inspired by and connect to is, man, you... We have in you um, someone who was a monk, an artist on stage, and now you're a, a Peloton instructor. Yes. You've uh, done a lot in a short space of time. So take us back. So born in Chelsea. Yes. Yeah, so I, I was born in Chelsea. Uh, my, my, my parents came over here from Thailand to work. 
And then, like, they were originally going to go back and get married. They were going to come here, save some money, go back and get married. And then my mom got pregnant with me. So at that time, there was a lot of opportunity more in the UK than in Thailand. So they decided to stay. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so I was born in Chelsea and I've been very active, like fitness-wise, since I could think, remember walking and running. My, my dad was a football coach. So he would just take me over to the park and kick a ball. Right. And it was like a bonding thing with, with my dad because, you know, sometimes men aren't best at talking about their feelings. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that him taking the time to, to, you know, teach me football was that bonding thing with us. So, like, I got into football and I was in the athletics team. What were your sports back then? So my sport in athletics. Yeah. Yeah, so mine was the 100 meters and the long jump. Wow. Yeah. Reason long jump. Yeah. I was, I, I was like champion my long jump for the whole five years. So from, from athletics, I, I got into martial arts. So I did, I did Taekwondo and Muay Thai for about six, seven years. That's amazing. Muay Thai is a, uh, an incredible martial art. I'm a, yeah. I'm like an armchair fan watching MMA all the time. I love it. And when you see <laughs> the Muay Thai fighters, Ooh, once they get that, get you in that clinch and that grip it's like uh oh watch out for those knees <laughs> yeah so i yeah because when i when i was growing up i was learning thai at the temple in wimbledon okay and uh, me every sunday to learn thai and then after i would learn be at school there was literally a muay thai class that they were doing which literally in the car park they'll be teaching people muay thai in the car park and wow. and at the time the the the, the Master Boone, he was, he was one of the first people to introduce uh, the UK to Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. He was at the temple, so I learned from him, and it was amazing. Uh, and then I got into, you know, when you kind of grow up, you watch all those movies like Jackie Chan, Jean-Claude Van Damme, all yeah. those things. So me and my friends will always kind of have those movie nights where we'll just, like, sit there watching the movies and then trying the moves and stuff like, stuff like that. Were they, in, were they training with you as well at that point? Yeah, so they would do Taekwondo with me. And how old were so, you at this point? I was probably about 12-ish, okay. I think. Yeah, about 12, and we would always train together. And then one of my friends, who was one of my close close friends, he got into dance. So he started studying performing arts and dance, and I would kind of go and see his classes sometimes and then participate, and then, you know, i Loved all the kind of you know, the Michael Jackson, the Janet Jackson kind of dancing stuff, and he would teach me that. So I would I started doing dance at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I was doing martial and dance, and then I got into performing arts college, where they did dance and drama, and ballet and and all that jazz. And the, and the kind of dance you were taking were were you going to like you know the studios in London? No, this was all in a in a college, so it's a whole a course. Okay. Yeah, so I was doing tap and jazz and ballet um, and street and all and learning about, you know, classical ballet history and modern ballet history. Um, And then I auditioned for some fit schools. So I auditioned for like um, London Studios and Northern Contemporary Dance and Laban Centre, London Contemporary. And I I got into all of them. And at that time, I was like, I was kind of just doing it as a hobby. Yeah. And then I kind of thought, oh, so these institutes kind of see something in me. So maybe there's something I should pursue. So 
So I went to the Laban Center. And were you, when you were doing it as a hobby, but you were passionate about it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I even loved, I mean, for me, it's that expression of movement that I just love. Yeah. So when you yeah. auditioned for these schools, at that point, were you still thinking career or just you just felt like it was a natural progression? Just go along and just, you've been I, dancing, so I might as well audition and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it was it was something my teacher said that I should try and do. Okay. Uh, and just to see where it would go because they saw something. I always wanted to be like an architect. Wow. I always wanted to be an architect growing up. I always had this like fantasy of designing and building my own house and living in my own house, you know, one of those things. And I realized that there was a lot of maths involved and I wasn't very good at math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I got into all these schools and I got a full scholarship from Laban. So I thought, okay, I'll go to Laban. So I went to Laban. I was like doing ballet and contemporary and just like sort of six to seven classes a day. Really, because our training is like seven years from the three years. I think about dancers, and you're doing six or seven. That's like six or seven workouts as well, right? And that's what five or six days a week. That's sometimes six days a week because on like Saturdays you'll come in rehearse for shows or rehearse for pieces and uh, and choreography as well. Knowing what you know about fitness now, looking back then, did. Imagine putting your body through that now. Like, would you not? I bet recovering wasn't even on your mind because you're constantly on the go well, back then. I, I would have eaten better as well. <laughs> I find sometimes you don't need as much sleep or you forget to eat when you're really into something. You're like, wow, I've just been doing this for 12 hours or whatever it is that's kept you. Sometimes creativity, inspiration, that's food, you know, and, and it keeps you going. Yeah. So you're going through three years of those studies. Yeah. So in my last term, it kind of dawned on me, you know, when you kind of think, oh, what do I do next? It was like, I had like, no, I, my last year and I saw that there was an audition for the King and I in the London Palladium with Elaine Page and Jason Scott Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago. And it was in, you know, for, did you ever read the stage when it was a newspaper? Yeah. I remember that. I used to look for the auditions at the back. Yeah, so you look for it and you know, it's always nothing that I was suitable for. And then like this, there was one time I looked in there and it was like, you know, looking for contemporary dancers, which I was at the time and looking for, you know, people, ethnic minorities. Like, Oh my God, this is me. I, I can, this is something I can actually go for. Instead of all the go-go dancers and the things that were in, in the stage at the time. So the weekend before I was going to audition, I was in a show and I broke my ankle. Oh no. The weekend before. So yeah, I was in a show and I did a, a leap and I came and I down and I literally landed funny, I got twisted it. And then that was it. I was like, all right. So I was in a cast for like three months. Dude. So like three months later, I looked at the stage again and I saw that the king and I were looking for uh, kids for the ensemble, for the children, for the king's uh, king's kids. So I thought, oh, they're still looking for kids. So I called Joe, I can't remember, Joe, who was the children's casting director. Okay. Uh, so I literally pick, pick up the phone, back in the day when you pick up the phone and you call yeah. Google, and I left this really long message. He goes, hi, uh, my name's Yo. Um, I was going to audition three months ago for one of the dancing uh, parts and, you know, I was in an injury and I was just thinking if there's still auditions or they're still looking for people, you know, this is my phone number. 
uh, give me a call. And this is the children's director I, I left the message on. And then a week later, Debbie O'Brien, do you know Debbie O'Brien? Yeah. I love Debbie yeah. O'Brien. She literally called me up. She said, hi, uh, Joe, pass me your information. We have finals this week. Do you want to come? I was like, sure. And like, I hadn't danced properly for three months and I'd only done two weeks of getting back into it. Right. So I went to these final auditions. I think it was two or three of them. Uh, and at the time I didn't sing. So I was like, Oh God, I need a musical theater song. What do I, what, what do I know about musical theater? And at the time, like all I knew was, um, the whole new world from Aladdin and watching the Disney movie. <laughs> okay. Theater, isn't it? So I, I went to chapels in town and I bought them the sheet music and I asked one of the pianists. Yeah. I, I asked one of the pianists to play it for me and me to sing it, which was, I was terrible anyway. I'm like tone deaf at the time, but I thought, oh, just in case they asked me to sing it. Right. So yeah, so I, I got through to the, uh, the final and I sung and, Literally. So you're saying a whole new world? A whole new world, yeah, a whole new world. Wow. Just your bit, that's the beginning bit now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, some whole new world. And then, no, so I, I, so I did the dancing. And that, yeah. in the last, the last audition, I did the, I sang the song. And luckily enough, like the dancers didn't have to sing. There was two different roles. And then a week later, they called me and said, oh, yes, you, you know, we want you to join the cast. Um, we're going to rehearse in a couple months. So I was like, wow. Yeah. So, but you know, being at the time when you're young, you just like, you just, you just get at it and you, there's no fear at the time, you know, you know, well, listen, I'm, I'm still hanging on to you saying you saw something for the kids. They were auditioning, but yeah. you're like, something told you to phone yeah, and just get your hand back in, yeah. put your hand back in the ring. And, and it took that initiative that, it was just the right amount of push yeah. to kind of like remind them of you just to see and just in case. And, yeah. you know, fortune favored the brave in this case. How did you feel when you first took your own bow? Oh, it was insane. It was insane. It was like, it's a crazy feeling. It was, isn't it? Yeah. Cause you walk out there and then the, the atmosphere hits you because, you know, and you don't have that security of like the other people outside of you. It's, mm. it's you, you know, standing there. Um, it was pretty insane. Like my dad was like, my dad was really proud because he like, I don't know, he's really like, he doesn't say much, but he, he said to me, I'll, I'm proud of you. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, so from that point on, I was, I started to learn to sing because one of the swings in the show, he said, well, you know, if you want your career to last, these are the things you need to do. First dance for a living, then sing for a living. And then if you're lucky, just talk for a living. Yeah, so that's kind of like in my, it's always been in my, my mind unconsciously that's what I should do, you know. Uh, and very fortunately, I've, I've been able to do that, you know, very fortunately. And then from like doing shows and stuff, I was always into fitness. I was going to the gym anyway. So, you know, you go, you do the show in the evening, then you'll go out Soho, you go karaoke to four in the morning. <laughs> Afternoon, you know what I mean? And then you go to the gym and they go to the show. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I'm trying to drag all the singers out as well. Yeah, yeah. So 
so it wasn't until then I, then I started doing like vocal lessons, vocal classes and lessons and stuff, uh, just, just for my own peace of mind, just to feel a bit more confident going into maybe other auditions, which is what it's all about. It's, it's confidence. You know, you can have, you know, you can sound amazing in your rehearsal room, but then if you don't have the confidence to be standing there and you, your throat freezes up and you're, it's, that's it. And that's a real thing. That took me a long time. I, you know, and I still, when you get stress or those nerves, it's the first thing to shut. Yeah. And it, it's something that I don't know if it necessarily gets easier, but I think you learn to cope with it. You learn to prepare better and yeah, everyone's different. Right. So, so when you know yourself and you, you're able to navigate the, how you need to prepare, how you deal with your nerves, cause it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's caught me out a few times along the roads. Mm. With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no yeah i think we have to point when you're when I was younger, I was I kind of I kind of felt I was just winging it. I was just winging it all the time from you know whoop. just winging it, and you feel like man, someone's going to realize they made a mistake. <laughs> someone's going to realize I, I I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so from that I I um so I've got I did I, I was able to do other shows. So I did like my next big show was Furry Modern Millie. Was yeah, it? so I was at Furry Modern with Maureen Lipman and Amanda Holden. Uh, Craig Gubani was in there. Uh, and did you enjoy that? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. It was, it was, it was for two reasons. One reason was because it was singing, but um, uh, Dick Scanner had re, re, re uh, had wrote this, this script and changed it and modernized it. So my character, uh, the, the Chinese, the younger Chinese uh, character, got together with one of the. Um, one of the the second leading lady in it. Okay. Yeah. So it was very, especially at the time, this was like 12, 13 years ago, that something like that was, wasn't really seen in theatre. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Asian guy with, with the, 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 the Caucasian lead, leading lady. So I did, I did an amazing play called um, Martha Josie and the Chinese Elvis. Where'd you do that? I did it a few times. I did it at Duke's Playhouse. I did the Duke's Playhouse, uh, and it overlapped with another production, which was going at the Salisbury Playhouse uh, down south. And I was coming to the end of my run of yeah. the Duke's, uh, and then two days before my end of the run, they, the Salisbury Playhouse paid me, called me, and said, "Are you able to come and take over the role here? Because they were going to open in two days, but they had." got rid of the guy who was playing my part. 
So they, they said, you know, are you able to come, are you available to come and take over? Literally, we opened on Monday and this was Thursday. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. You go down, meet the cast first time, quick, quick run through? Yeah. Did you? Quick run through and... Uh, was it the same staging, same director, like same whole new? It was the script was the same, but you know, you know, every you know, the actors were different, so they're giving you something different, and the, the stage was different. Uh, you know, and apart from learning the new staging, obviously that's nerve wracking because you know there is safety issues, and especially when a company has already kind of like found their footing. But how exciting was it to kind of just see what's going to be thrown at you? As, as new scene partners, yeah. that, that, was, that was a great thing about it. It was, it was because I'd, I'd done it for a couple of months, and then you get used to the rhythms, don't you? When you go somewhere else, and it's a whole different. They're playing a whole different genre in a sense. You know, you got to you're doing jazz now. You got to do hip hop, something like you know. <laughs> so after that, was are you still after Salisbury? Did you go back to any big like commercial musicals? Were you still touring? So after Salisbury, I. I think after I talked for a bit, I think that's when I went to Thailand to become a monk. There's a segue. Yeah. So <laughs> how, how, what, what, what was that transition? Where'd that come from? So I, you know, cause I, I've always, because I was sort of first generation in London, I've always kind of felt like I wasn't quite English enough or I wasn't quite Thai enough. I was always kind of felt like I was in the middle. I get you. Uh, do you know what I mean? And, you kind of like a lot of the stuff that I would do towards my Thai heritage, I wouldn't understand. So sometimes I go at the time and there's things that my parents would be doing or my aunts would be doing. And I wouldn't quite understand why we'd be doing these certain things. It was just something as a kid I would just follow. And I kind of always intrigued of basically where I came from, you know, before me. And I remember when I was much, much younger, I think I must have been like six. I remember my dad taking me to where he grew up. And we're standing there and there's this river and the river is like horrible. It's polluted at this time. It's black. And he said to me, oh, I used to fish in this river. I said, what? It's like, no, he said it was when it was cleaner. When I was younger, your age, I used to fish in this river. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're fishing what we caught would eat. You know, and if we didn't keep, you know, if we didn't catch a thing, we probably wouldn't have any meat for that night. And my grandfather, he, my grandfather built a house by that river um, out of like, at the time, um, those huge leaves and, and wood, basically. Yeah. Uh, and that's where my dad grew up. And then afterwards, they upgraded to like, sort of those metal slabs and stuff. And I remember standing there thinking, like, I had no idea that this is what I kind of came from before. And... It's so funny. I'm like standing there. I always remember it in my my Reebok pumps and with my Game Boy in my backpack. My dad telling me about him growing up by this river and having a sense of feeling that I kind of had no idea that who I was or where I was from. And how old are you at this moment? I think I was must be about seven or eight around that time. Okay. And I think that was the first huge culture shock, which really kind of there was a, a, a huge divide because all I'd known to that time was my, my UK upbringing, all my Western upbringing and all the um, sort of convenient things I can have here. And I've, it's always been sort of in the back of my mind. And then it got to a point where my cousin was getting married in Thailand. I thought, oh, 
he's getting married, he's going to become a monk just to kind of cleanse himself before he, you know, goes in, uh, uh, goes, goes, gets married. And then I thought, well, if I go with him, I'll, I can become a monk with him and he can teach me stuff in case I don't know. And I can do it for a couple of weeks at the time. And this now, it's just so I'm up to date chronologically, this is after Salisbury's Playhouse. I think it was, after, it was after one of the tours I did. I can't remember what tours. It was, it was one of the tours. You know, when you when you tour, you need to go to a temple after, don't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and as you, during all that time, are you now questioning your, I guess, your heritage? Is it's been on your mind? Are you having conversations with people about it? Are you? Was it just were you struggling it with your within yourself? Because I, so I just want to bridge the gap be between actor and you deciding to go to. Thailand. So you're you're on stage. You're a stage actor. That's your profession. You're now going to go with your cousin, with his yeah. sort of return before being married. So you're going with him to. How long was he meant to go back and become a monk before he gets married? For I think two months, and I thought I, I would go there and I'll do it for a few weeks. A few, I'll do it for a few weeks, and then I'll come back so in support of him, uh, and also a bit of soul searching for yourself. Yeah, and part of it was like. I thought, oh, you know, if there's anything I didn't understand, I could ask him. Great. You know, right. ask he could be a translator. My, my, you know, my monk whisperer, as you call it. <laughs> um, so when I got to Thailand, he said, oh, yeah, I'm going to a different temple with you. <laughs> so we were being separated anyway. Um, oh. Yeah. Did your stomach drop? Were you like, what? Yeah. When I landed, they told me, it's like, oh, we're going to different temples now. They don't want you to go to where I am because they're, because they're concerned that because you're going to be too far away. So they want me to stay stay in a, a, a temple in Bangkok where my family come and visit me because they didn't want this the UK city boy to go all the way into the, sort of the north of Thailand because they were really, really? good at the time, yeah. Were they worried about you and just not coping or? I think they're worried that I'll probably get bitten by a snake or something. <laughs> Literally. Uh, but not your cousin. Your cousin's good to go? My cousin's good to go because he's, you know, he's, he's born and he knows all the danger signs. Right. So yeah, I remember flying there. I got there on a Friday, and then there was a two-day ceremony, and then by Sunday evening, I was a monk. What does that even like? What does that mean? What did you do for the ceremony? And now that you're sat there, what's expected of you? Or so yeah. So so from from that point on, you know, it's you know fasting and you know learning and teaching and you know giving merit to people, um, and just li literally like. Just, just being your, being yourself, being just—it's it's funny, just to be. It's it really insane. It's a funny thing to say. It's just, I just had to be. So you'd wake up in the morning. What's the? Do you meditate when you start? Is there a group meditation? Is there? Yeah. So we wake up. A monk. We wake up about four in the morning, and then you know, I we would go to the temple and we'll do uh, you know we'll, we'll chant and read and then we'll meditate for an hour. And then from there, we'll go into the neighborhood. So uh, we'll go into the neighborhood, like, so we'll wait for people to offer us food and we'll bless them for the day. So we walk down the neighborhood, like, in bare feet, uh, literally no mm -hmm. shoes. And that's, that's when we heard the story when I, the first day I, I cut my foot. My foot. Uh, I cut my foot on the very first day going okay. out. And I came back and I was, it, was, it was a small cut, but, you know, at the time it was huge. That it was moving. And I was like, oh my God, this is the first day. This is the first day. You know, how am I going to cope? How am I going to cope? You know, and then, 
my my mentor at the time, he said, you know, just tomorrow, take a different path that takes you to where you need to go. I was like, yeah, I will do that, and I will do that because at the time when you know, when when you you're, when something happens, that anxiety you lose sight of what you can control. And what I learned a lot about in the monastery is what is what you can focus on. You can what you can control, what you can't control. The things that what can't we can't control that causes the fear and anxiety, mm. uh, and that's the things that we focus on too much. Yes. Uh, so that's one of the huge takeaways I got from from being a monk. What a glorious lesson on day one being out as a monk. <laughs> now let me ask you about the first time you meditated. Had you meditated prior to that? Is that was that part of your mental health fitness regime? No, it wasn't. It was the first time I'd ever meditated. So the first time they got you to meditate was that for an hour? Yes, it was. It was for an hour, and now, like the, the, my, the mentor, he'll guide me through it, my breathing and just my focus. And so he said, you know. So throughout that hour, they're guiding you, they're coaching you. Yeah, you, especially at the beginning when you're first new, they'll guide you and meditate. Then afterwards, they would kind of lead us to ourselves. That we seldom have time in silence to ourselves mm. because there's so much, so much going on, so much going on. And especially, I mean, especially these days. But back in those days, the same thing. There's so much going on. There's so many distractions, and it's you know to to, to sit with just you and your thoughts is a very at the, at the beginning was a very daunting thing. So I spend most of my day just like reading and learning and. and talking to individuals who had been monks for all their lives. Some of them had, actually, some of the guys there who had been monks had been like, left at the temple when they were younger. So, so the monastery was all they'd known. And I'd be talking to them, and they would just, and they would, I'd be fascinated with them, and they would be fascinated with me because they'd be like, oh, my God, you're from a Western society. What's it like? Do you know the queen? You know, things like that. You know? <laughs> what did they think of your musical career? Well, they... It's so funny because from that culture, they kind of think it was a hobby. They were, like, they were just fascinated by my experiences. They were fascinated by my experience growing up in the UK, and I was fascinated by their experiences in the monastery and, and in Thailand. And I learned a lot just by talking to them about my, my heritage and my culture. It was so funny because I would have my, my – um, because I got a Superman tattoo. And they're, like, fascinated by that, a Superman tattoo. And, you know, when, when you're in the monastery, you address each other like disciples. So I go, so, you know, we disciple Ramin and you call me disciple, probably call me disciple Sam, but because I had a Superman tattoo, they will call me disciple Superman. Amazing. And like, it's so funny. So the whole, this whole monastery of all these monks, I was known as disciple Superman. So I was bringing, I was bringing my Western English upbringing into the temple. And it was, there's, there's kind of two things coming together. Uh, and kind of felt like I was kind of writing my own narrative as I was going along, which is kind of the way I felt all my life is can you kind of write your own narrative when you're kind of a part of all these amazing things. So how long are you there for now? So I was there for, I think, nine, nine months in the end. Whoa, you were going for a couple of weeks. Wow, Sam. And that's so a year there and you're, you're finding, what, what are you finding out about yourself at this point? To, to, to get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm ready to leave. Part of the reason I went there was just to, to, to understand more about where I was from. You know, there's a lot of, especially kids who are first generation, a lot of decisions made before we are born shape our lives now. 
you know. So sometimes I I wonder myself if if my parents didn't move to the UK and I was born in Thailand, would I still have the same dreams? Would I still be the same person? Would I still have the same aspirations because I've been brought up in a different culture? Would I still love musical theatre? Would I be a huge comic fan? All these things, you know. And that was that was something that I always kind of thought back to, especially that that moment when my dad said, "Look, this is where I used to fish." <laughs> you know, yeah. and these decisions that my parents made before I was born kind of pushes you in a different direction. When you could have gone this way, you, you go in a different direction. Um, what do you think? What do you think? Would that have shaped you differently? Because if you're not exposed to certain things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, especially if I was, if I was born in Thailand, I think, I don't think I would have got into the sort of the dance or the, the theater side because just in culture, culturally, it's not really something that you do. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And are you communicating back home with your parents at all? So my parents, my, my mom stayed in Thailand for like a month just to make sure I was okay. Um, and she would, it's so funny because every morning then when she was there, I would walk to the neighborhood, I walked to my family home and she'll be there and she'll offer me food and I have to bless my mom, but I couldn't really speak or converse with her in that way, you know, like a, like a father, like a, like a son and, and a mother because the whole dynamic had changed because now I was a holy man. It was really strange. Is this something you just found naturally you took on a different sort of dialogue and position with your mother or there's a set of rules that won't allow you? No, it was, it was, it was my family who took a whole different dialogue with me. Ah, oh, right. Of course. They saw, they saw what I represented. It was very, it was very odd at the beginning, but then I got kind of used to how you know, other people would, would be around me so it kind of helped that way as well so they kind of it was like oh this is the norm you know it's they're very respectful they're very, very respectful monks in the space and how they dress which was very um alien to me coming from especially in a, in a you know a, a western society and coming from like the entertainment industry how some people are mostly in your face all the time and wanting the space and time and this is being in a situation where they are respecting your space and time. Well, what made you want to leave? What was there something in you that made you think, okay, I know what I need to do now? So, I mean, part of it's because I miss my family, and part of it's because I kind of gave myself this kind of time scale because to come back. And what sort of commitment does the temple and being a monk expect of you when you arrive? Can anyone just go, or are you there? 
you have to be here for a certain amount of time, so you could. No, I mean the the commitment is 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 your own personal commitment. I mean, most people they, you know, most people they would stay. I don't know, like three months. Most people would stay for whole entire lives. Could I do that? Yeah, you could. You could. It's uh, wow. you could, and you know, it's, that's the thing about Buddhism is it's great because it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. It's it's, you know, it's accepting is it's the teaching and that the teaching that you learn, the teaching that you possibly pass on to someone else, you know. My God, we need, we need a lot of acceptance right now. And how did you find being back on stage after your experience? It was very, very scary. Everything felt, felt very noisy. I remember that. I remember, I remember noticing the noise everywhere. Like even at home or just walking down the street, there was just so much noise. Really noticed the way people spoke to each other as well. How most people they they you speak to each other, but you're not really listening. And it was very different from coming from an environment where all everyone wanted to do was listen to you. When you listen to someone, you empower them, and also it's you learn more, you take in more, you understand better, and it's sometimes it's. I guess, you know, a lot of the work is done with when you don't talk. <laughs> so, yeah, most of the communication is done um, non-verbally, isn't it, as well? When you're around someone, the way they are with you, the way they look at you, and, you know. Um, but I think especially in sort of the entertainment industry, as you know, a lot of people, they, um, you know, they, they, we always want to be heard as well, don't we? We're, we're worried sometimes that if we're not heard, we're, we're not seen and we're not kind of validated in that sense sometimes. As you're going further into the tour now, six months, seven months, are you enjoying it? Are you still f finding the buzz of being on stage or has your experience as a monk now thought, this ain't right? Is the noise still bothering you? Um, no, it definitely had changed. Definitely had changed. Um, now I had a bit more awareness of myself and a bit more awareness of just who I am, you know, and where I was from and how to navigate now in my place between, you know, not being too English enough and not being Thai enough. Mm. You know, it's, it's all balance. I think so many first-generation people, they, they struggle with that because it's like, where, 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 where should I be? Where should I go? You know. You felt you found a, a balance in your identity in both, you're saying? I, I, felt, I felt that I'd started it. Yeah, that started, but I think it's, it's always a, it's always been a ongoing evolution. It's always ongoing evolution. You know, it's it's so funny. It's like you know, it's that saying like, when you're in your twenties, you think you know everything. But you get to your thirties, you realize you didn't know anything in your twenties, and you need to start learning now. And now in your forties, you think, okay, I know things now, but I'm getting too old now. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean. I sort of, and I sort of got more into fitness and stuff afterwards as well. I, I was getting to the point when I was tired of waiting. Yeah. As, as, as performers, we're professional waiters. We kind of wait for, we wait for the agent to call us, then we wait in the waiting room, then we wait to hear back, then we wait to hear the agent calls, but then, you know, we're always waiting. And then if we're not doing those things, we're waiting tables, basically. Yeah. You professional know? waiters, Yeah. yeah. So I kind of got to the point when I kind of wanted to try and take a bit more control. So the coaching really helped. And I was kind of wanting to move a bit more away from musical theatre. Okay. So did you get your level one, like as a personal trainer, and you started getting all your 
accreditations for that? Yeah, so I I I done all my started to do my accreditations. I got my level three, so I was personal training and teaching classes. But I I after a while I transitioned more to teaching classes and group classes because it still gave me the freedom to to do the acting jobs. Right. Okay. You know, if I had to go off and do a um, a, a, a an acting job, I could get cover for my classes, and and I started trying to take more control. In that sense, is that I tried I started to to push my training, my personal training, and my group classes more. And it, it got to a point maybe two, two, three years ago where um, my acting jobs would be my thing on the side and my, my training jobs would be the things that would support me and give me the freedom. You know, I would be teaching like 20 classes a week, 20 hours a week, and that would pay me double, which it did, doing ensemble in the West End and gave me yeah. freedom as well. So, you know, and I was very lucky to, to be quite good at that as well and have a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, big gyms and the big studios wanting me to, to teach for them. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's how Peloton found me is when I was teaching in these studios. Peloton found you? Yeah, Peloton found me, yeah. Peloton approached me, yeah. Through what social media? Through <laughs> so, like, I had no idea who Peloton were at all. At all. At all. They're blowing up now, aren't they? Um, yeah, I mean, they've been huge in America for so long. In America, they've been huge, and I, I had no idea because you know, for me, my coaching stopped when I left the studio. I wasn't so I wasn't so I'm not not a social media person to post things. So Peloton are looking for two new instructors. We're looking in, in the UK and in, and in the US for two new instructors. So they literally looked in about 400 different instructors in the, in the UK and the US, 400. Um, and the first thing you did was just look at your social media profile. So I'm, I'm, you know, even though I wasn't on social media much, I was very fortunate that I had just something Right. So my producer told me, you didn't have anything, but what you had intrigued us. Because what you had was not about fitness. What you had was about you. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the things as well, is that a lot of people, especially in this day and age, they're trying to be like everyone else. But what they forget is what they have, which no one else has, is their own uniqueness. Yeah, there's no one, you know, be yourself. Everyone else is taken, as they say, right? Yeah, that's right. And they said that, you know, you know, what you had was that really intrigued us. So they put me like on a one of one of, you know, now I'm down to the last 200, basically. And then right. we'll have discussions. It's like it's basically like a casting. They'll have a discussion and they'll discuss this person, that person, you know, and then they try and find people who you know, not only great coaches, but have something unique about them. And yeah. Um, then afterwards they would go, they would scout and go to the classes and see what they were like teaching. So then they would do that. And then once again, they'll narrow it down and then narrow it down, narrow it down until they having they had like eight people who they got in contact with from the 400. So I had a, 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 a message from um, the, the VP of Peloton in the UK he messaged me on my Instagram and I never, ever, ever, ever checked my Instagram or direct messages and stuff. So that message was one there for like 
a month before I even checked. Really? Yeah, it was only like a month. I was like, oh, and I was checking. It's like, oh, this, you know, I, was, I didn't even know this section was there. And it's like, oh, I was just checking it. And then I was like, oh, this guy, Peloton, what's that? And and I went just to Google it. It's like, is this guy for real? And I Googled it and, he said, and I saw how big it was in America. And I said, oh, and I sent him an email saying, oh, sorry, I literally just checked my, my phone today. And then he sent me a message, oh, you know, do you want to meet for coffee? And we'll just have a discussion. And then I met him and he literally told me, you know, that they've been coming to my classes for the last two months and they really, really liked me. And, you know, would I be interested in maybe seeing to take this further? Um, and they'd tell you about the company and you know, what they're all about, um, what they're you know, trying to achieve. And so I he said, come in for a, a, a meeting with the producer. So I went for the music producer and he's like, hi, you know, da-da, just telling about myself. And they said, oh, we're just going to put you on camera and just ask you questions. That's it. See how you look on camera. See what energy you give out on the camera. Yeah. Uh, so literally that was the first first round, literally. Well, not the first round, but maybe like the 12th round that instructors go through. It's that first meeting. They, and then they, that gets sent to America and they have a whole discussion in America. Wow. Yeah, and then... You know, then I kind of got through that round and then the next round I said, well, come back in, you know, we really like to, uh, you know, teach a song, show us, teach a song, see how you are. So literally got on the bike, so choose a song. I was like, um, Bon Jovi, Living on the Prayer. They put it on. I just, yeah. This is just you and a couple people in, behind the table? No, this is me and literally in the studio, literally me by myself in the studio. Uh, and then I can hear, the, so the control rooms in the other rooms, so they talk to me through the, the PA system. Oh. Yeah. And what, and forgive me, where are you now? In in a London studio? Yeah, so in our London studio, yeah. Okay. So then I, I did that, and then it's, it's the same as a casting process, and you kind of forget about it, wait to hear back, and they said, oh, you know, do you want to come in? We want to, can you teach like a whole 20-minute class? So I did that, and then. But is anyone taking a class with you? No, no, just me. So you're talking as if the room is full to yeah. inspire the room, but there's yeah. nobody in there. Nobody in the room, and just the cameras. So I'm like addressing like the first time I'm using cameras, and um, with the Peloton class, the cameras they change. So there's a red light. <coughs> so you're talking this camera, and then it, the red light will change. So you've got to address this camera, and you're constantly being directed by someone in another room through an earpiece. No, no, just through something. You just you follow the dot. Follow the dot, like a cat. Follow the dot. Oh. And this is this is this is all, and you kind of do this kind of, you know, eighty percent is improvised as well. What you do on on the platform, eighty percent is improvised. Really? Yeah. Every bit is improvised. It's just you. Just yeah. When you go and so when you go to to do a class, yeah. you've set your, your your playlist up, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's preset. So yeah, so the playlist is set and the program the the, the fitness program is set. So those okay, so you're doing a 20 minute audition though. Yeah, so I did my you do that? Audition, and then you know, then they say, "Oh, you know, great, thanks." You know, and then uh, I went away, and then as soon as we got, through, then they call me and message me, "So you got through the next round." So the next, oh my god! Yeah, so the next round is like a literally a bunch of interviews. So I having I'm having interviews with the people in New York. I had less auditions for Phantom. Peloton <laughs> <laughs> is throwing you through the ringer. Yeah. So you're having interviews on camera with like, uh, yeah, so like FaceTime or Skype with people in New York? Meeting the team, the content team, and, uh, you know, the 
the, the you know the, the some of the uh, head instructors that talking to me they're literally kind of trying to fill me out what what I'm like you know and then literally I had I had about five or six interviews holy yeah, crap different times uh so yeah I had like five or six interviews um so from from the point where they contacted me and to the point where they offered me the job it was from april to i think the beginning of august well i uh- a short, like a temporary contract? No, no, that that was the time it took from when I met. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. And going through the auditions, and then all the different interviews, and then and then when they offered me the contract was in August, so it took that amount of time. Wow. Um, and then, of course, previous that was was the months they were scouting me out. So, so was was that the training ground, or do oh, you do you then now go? Now, now the trains. That's just how to get through the door. So how is the training? Is it here or is it? Did they fly out to New York? It's both. So I did. Um, I did uh, about three months, two, three or two months training in London, uh, just to get used to everything. And then I went over and I was in New York for three months, just learning. Yeah, I think no, was, the whole thing was three months. It was about a month here in the UK and about two and a half, maybe three months in the in the New York. So almost six months of training. Yeah. Full time? Or are you still doing your no, other studio work? No, no. So that I mean, I I kind of had to, had to unfortunately had to leave that studio because this, this is a whole this is a whole different ball game. It's 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 very hard. To, it's like I describe to my mates like if Barcelona asked you to play for them. Yeah. It's like oh yeah, you don't say no, and it, and at that point I kind of fell out who Peloton were and what they were in America and. And when I went to America, you can see how huge it is, and how like the instructors are. People just love love the instructors and what the instructors do for them. It was it's on a kind of whole different level, um, and it was just kind of so funny being there in New York. I couldn't tell people that I was training. Really? Yeah. So I had to be kind of literally on the download all the time. I couldn't tell people I was training that I was going to be the next Peloton instructor because there's you know because it. The community, the Peloton community, are so committed and love the instructors. They they want to know so much about the, the company and what we're doing, and they try to find it. They try to find out who the instructors are and stuff before. So they're waiting for the big press release to announce you. Yeah. So yeah. So they're waiting for like literally the press release where, where they literally just announced this is our new instructor. Boom. Um, because the last three instructors for Peloton were outed before they were announced. They were found out before uh, through I don't know social media or whatever they were cycling instructors yeah i bet hashtag peloton was uh going crazy with all the gossip november the 13th was my first live class so i got announced as the instructor on november the 11th and then that's when everyone knew oh my god this is a new peloton instructor uh and i was like i kind of kept my profile on the download the whole time so no one knew that i was coming out Wow. And so your first class, you're in a studio with cameras, obviously no one else there or at that point? Yeah. So yeah, at this point I had like people like a, basically like an audience, but 
the audience was like, it was some the other instructors from New York had flown in as well, and we had our our great UK instructors are there, and just like our team that really that helped me through, and I had my best friend and my other half there. It's like it's like you know, uh, it's literally like a show, but you know, like a like a press night. You invite people you know, but they're the ones taking the class. They're the ones taking the class. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's like basically like press night. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's my like. That, that, that was yeah November the thirteenth was my first class and then you know I've been there six six months now uh, and six months yeah this month and we've had two months where we had to be off because of what's going on so but within the six months I've been there I, I just heard today about like over um, uh, one point two million people had taken my classes in those six months are they reaching out to you on social media yeah, as well yeah I mean like every day I mean I went well as that's how I met you. Mandy did. She reached out to you. Yeah. I mean, because I went from someone who didn't know social media at all to learning how to do social media. Uh, well, your social media is, it's, it's uh, curated really beautifully. It's, it's in, in very inviting and inspiring. There's some beautiful stuff on there. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, 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 I, I went, I had like, we have a whole social media team. I have like a social media man that helps, helps me think, think of ideas that Good. me, uh, not just, things that you just post for no reason, but things that are me, things that they think that can connect with the community, things that I'm comfortable sharing. And, you know, just for me, for me about, it's all about trying to be, just be relatable. Cause sometimes when you're in, on these platforms or on, on the stage, you, you don't seem relatable to people. And it's the relatability, which is, is which is going to make you last. I think. Um, yeah, that's very true. They got to, it's all about connection, right? Yeah. If they don't, con- if they don't relate or connect in a way, then, terrible pun but they won't come along for the ride right <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's yeah and it's it, and you know a lot of people reach out and they connect i mean i i get and it's quite it was quite overwhelming at the beginning it's like oh and how do i handle all this and uh and you know do i reply to everyone or because you know like my my messages are like full like i'll do a class and like this this week i did a class and it was like nearly two thousand people on the leaderboard like doing it live so you know and some of those people reach out to me say oh that was a great class all that uh and you know and it's you know it's impossible to reply to everybody unfortunately but, yeah. you know um but i'm always grateful for anyone who takes my classes or anyone that messaged me um even if i if now i read it and after a week or so and don't get time to reply back but it, it's it's nice how one of the things is that a lot of um like Asian mothers and fathers have reached out to me saying, Oh my God, my, my, my child loves you. It's lovely seeing a reflection of him on something like this. Uh, he started X, Y, he's starting to do these things just because he can, it's, you know, it's, it's the, it's the thing that I never had growing up in fitness. Wow. You felt represented. You're saying, yeah, they felt represented. It was, it was, I mean, that's what really, really hit me with that. You know, I'm now potentially giving someone something that I never had growing up. You know, that's amazing. So, I mean, you know, the class and the you know the, the program is, is is one thing, but there's a whole different thing. You know, especially because it's such a global thing. There's you've got to think that some people have never probably interacted with someone who looks like me or knows anyone who looks like me, and now I'm in their homes 
given exercise and, and maybe their kids, the first time they see an Asian person is my face. So, you know, it's trying to represent something that is true, you know, without um, reinforcing the stigmas and stereotypes as well. Mm. Sometimes, especially coming from, you know, the, the entertainment industry where most of the roles I went up for were very stereotypical uh, yeah. and very stigmatized. Uh, I'm very conscious of, of, of delivering a narrative where it's, you know, it, it shows Asian representation in a positive light and as a person. So the heritage, mm-hmm. heritage is part of you, but it's, you know, it's, but it's something you draw onto. It's the person that you, you see. Um, and yeah, a lot of, like a lot of, um, yeah, people reach out, especially just like, oh my God, I can't believe. Yeah. It's really you, yeah. you look and you sound like you're at home there and that you're really enjoying the position that they've and the platform they've given you and good on Peloton as a uh, risk of sounding like this is a Peloton advert. <laughs> um, it's not, it's your story, but good on them. Mm. And, uh, and so if I'm taking your class and Mandy lets me use the bike and I sign in, you, you'll see that I'm, cause you see who's taking your class, right? But yeah. So when we're, when we're teaching, we have, sort of the, the tablet and we have we've got to um remember the class that we're teaching the fitness program we got to remember the cues on the music we got to remember the cadence resistance that you're going we got to engage with the leaderboard so the leaderboard is going flickering with all the people so you engage with people milestones and then you engage in the camera and then we're following in the camera in the direction of the camera and then mm. if it's a heavy scripted class, we've got to remember what we're talking about sometimes. If there's something we want to say or some joke or some corny line that I always say. Um, and then you've got to remember to be entertaining and motivated. And this is all done while you're exercising and your heart rate's up about 70 to 80% of its max. So That sounds uh, – well, you're, you're a better man than me. <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to taking your class, but uh, I'll leave it to you to lead it. <laughs> So how should people keep it? I think, well, definitely people should check out your Instagram. Mm. It's super inspiring. And um, Yo, I am Samyo. <laughs> Yo, I am Samyo. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, before I let you go, um, can I ask you two quick questions? Yes. Yeah. What made you smile yesterday? What made me smile yesterday? Um, I was looking at an old video of my nephew when he was younger. He's, mm-hmm. he's like 12 now. And it was a, it was a, a video of him at my brother's workplace when he was three and he was mopping the floor and he was singing. His mopping foot, I said it was just the smallest thing, it was a mopping foot, it was like in his own world, he was mopping the floor, feeling like he was like really contributing to my brother's work. And oh, it's, yeah. It's just, That's beautiful. Yeah. And first thing that comes to your mind, but uh, a childhood memory. A childhood A nice memory. childhood first nice childhood memory that comes to your mind oh that's it's got to be um playing football my friend playing football with my mates like that was yeah every it was every day we used to play and yeah we, we used to back in the day when fences used to be wood we used to kind of climb over the wood fence and literally play until there was no sun left and just especially that summer that summer makes me mind me of playing football with my friends and walking back in your t-shirt and it's still hot and yeah well sam i could speak to you for hours it's so easy to speak to you i just think you're amazing and 
Super excited to take your class. I think you're an amazing guy. Yeah, thank you. I've been a big fan of yours for quite some time. I, I, the first time I saw you was um, as Chris, at the Nas- uh, Chris on the national tour of Shite Saigon. Really? Yeah, years ago. And I, I saw you in um, Love Never Dies. And yeah. So I, when, when, when Mandy messaged me on my post, I was like, oh, I recognize the name. I was like, oh, yeah. And we've probably got lots of mutual friends as well in the industry. I think we do. And I hope we uh, can hang out when this is all, yeah. when we're all able to do that. And I'm honestly, we got to train together. Yeah. You're, you're, you're an inspiration, brother. And hopefully, maybe one day the, the theater will call, your heart will want to get back on stage just for a little bit. Maybe. And we can share that thing together. <laughs> but for now, Peloton, yo, I'm Samuel on Instagram. Good hanging with you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for hanging with Samuel and myself, folks. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a great time getting to know Sam. Really excited to get into a class with him and train with him and take one of his Peloton classes. All the best. The Hang is produced by Dory Berestein and Alan Seals from the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find me online at epn.fm forward slash The Hang. Don't forget, you can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Ramin Karamlu on YouTube a roaming Iranian, or my Facebook page, Official Ramin Karamlu. Music for my podcast is by my friends in one of my favorite bands, The Dives. Please check them out at their website, thedivesmusic.com. That's thedivesmusic.com, where you can get to know them, hear their incredible music, get links to all their socials, and most importantly, their tour dates, where you can find out where you can see and hear them live. They are truly a great band, and they are phenomenal live. Check them out. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.